Greetings, everyone. This is Abhivardhan from the Bharat Pacific. Um, for some time, we have been doing interviews on public policy, geopolitics, and international relations. Uh, since Bharat Pacific has been existent since 2018, the pursuit of this uh, podcast platform was to discuss aspects related to law and public policy. We have had discussions on artificial intelligence and how it affects technological sovereignty. We have discussed Web three. We have discussed quantum tech. We have discussed. much related issues of you know internet of things and how does it affect you know so um uh, today we have a very special guest and we have been with the guest uh, through the global law assembly conference and even endocon uh, he is mr ankit sani um, he's a he's an ip lawyer i would call him an intellectual property expert especially when it comes to dis- disruptive technologies so um, uh, welcome to the bharat pacific and definitely it's a pleasure to have you the pleasure is mine abhi vardhan every time uh, we take this platform we take this stage is such uh, a nice feeling to be interacting and um, uh, engaging thoughts and perspectives with you and i look forward to doing that in today's conversation as well indeed so uh, today we have an interesting topic we are going to discuss uh, chat gpt and intellectual property law now uh, i think uh, everybody in the janmanas in the peep in the milieu is aware available you know sorry uh, known of chat gpt people know what is chat gpt it's a generative ai uh, platform which responds to your questions and uh, suggests certain responses and answers uh, uh, scientists claim that chat gpt does not understand or uh, learn that way it's just uh, based on pred- predictive analytics in certain ways that it just takes up questions and then therefore it analyzes what is based on the data which is available up to 2021 because beyond in 2021 chat gpt doesn't know anything in fact uh, the hilarious part is that chat gpt is also sub- subject to subscriptions but open ai has claimed that chat gpt which is gpt3 version 3 it's actually under free research preview <laughs> so that's a very interesting thing so let's understand from your side um uh um do you really think that uh, chat gpt is a legally viable uh, i would not say product for now but a legally viable uh, thing as it exists what do you think about it uh i think to get off the mark abhivardhan um there are a number of challenges but that has always been the case you know when it comes to emerging technology and law it is always the case of the cart being put before the horse because uh, technology develops and then law is always slow to catch up so if you could put it in the simplest terms possible chat gpt and inventions like chat gpt today exist largely in what is called a regulatory or legal vacuum there's no law directly governing or regulating the operation of or human interaction or intervention etc interfacing uh of uh, how chat gpt functions and the issues are very broad based i would put if i were given a chance to plot it on a map i would put it in all directions 360 degrees uh you know and right from data and privacy being one intellectual property being another one liability and consequences being another one um the the ability to uh, utilize somebody's data without having to compensate them or against their will etc being one then uh, other aspects regarding uh, licensing of this to users 
on what terms it is licensed, how is the end product to be seen or utilized, and then you know a whole spectrum of issues. Therefore, uh, as far as viability is concerned, I think only time will tell uh, how countries decide to develop policy eventually, uh, the legislative framework, uh, whether it will be a movement akin to say how intellectual property rights developed eventually with TRIPS and uh, you know several other international conventions being agreed and then countries agreeing to amend their respective domestic laws or to bring about new laws uh, in compliance with what was agreed at that level or will it be more organic with, with each country deciding as a sovereign as to what their approach to regulating AI will be and then at some stage later on maybe countries uh, agree to sit together across the table and try to harmonize their practices. So this, in my view, is what the landscape looks like at the moment. That's uh, an interesting way to start the talk. So um, I have observed for a matter of fact that in uh, 2022, there was a UNESCO um, recommendation on the ethics of AI. Uh, we had analyzed it for iSale as well, and uh, I had written an article for Analytics India magazine in which what I tried to say was that right now uh, there would be no treaty or no such kind of a big legal document coming up because, see, the problem is even if we analyze the European Union AI law, the AI Act, it's a, it's a law which is very, um, I would say, very sophisticated. There's an Annex 1 which defines AI, and there are three ways to define AI. It's too specific. It's very anti-market because see, the problem with even the AI industry is, I mean, uh, the so-called AI players, we talk about OpenAI and now Microsoft has acquired them, even others on, on, you know, using even recommendation media like Twitter or anyone. These are big tech companies and even OpenAI is in the big tech. I mean, we can't just deny that from a fiduciary perspective. So what happens is that there was some news that uh, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Sam Altman, all these people. They actually said that there should be a moratorium on uh, creating any AI technology, which I called as narrow AI. It's not even AGI because we don't even understand AGI. And I'll get on the legal research side of it afterwards. What's the scholarship status right now? Uh, but uh, I think that uh, this moratorium that you know what? So they developed chat GPT, then they developed GPT-4. And when GPT-4 happened, the hilarious part of this is that... Uh, they are actually saying in this petition under Bill Gates, Elon Musk, all of this, that you can't develop any GPT beyond GPT-4, which is like GPT-5, 6, 7. Because um, their concern is, number one, uh, it, this, it, it might not be workable. It is not, it is not safe. There is no understanding of this. And uh, number two, what is understandable from this is that... Um, um, Again, these are the concerns are big companies doing anything anywhere. So that's definitely a thing. So what do you uh, think about it? No, I, I understand in terms of the thoughts um, that some of such people like Elon Musk and others have voiced regarding the pace at which AI, especially since chat GPT went mainstream, the pace at which AI is developing and again the pace at which legislation or regulation is trying to catch up so there is definitely a mismatch and as regards which one of the two is going to win the race it seems that um, the the answer is very clear the 
the speed at which technology is evolving, it is perhaps proving to be too quick for countries to realize. A lot of it probably accelerated because of the pandemic and uh, some things remained under covers. Um, things emerged, uh, you know, like they say, necessity is the mother of invention. And perhaps uh, things accelerated in that time frame uh, when, when the world thought things had paused and everybody was trying to understand what's happening around them, people were, and probably researchers and scientists, data scientists and others, were sitting in their, their offices or homes uh, continuing research with far more time and resources available to them uh, than before. And also this ability to be able to uh, connect remotely. Of course, none of the te technology that we use is remarkably new, but everybody just realized that this was a much more efficient way to connect and be able to continue work. So I think all of this taken together, technologies evolved very quickly. And the challenges seem to be uh, several because right now, the mode and manner in which we access something like chat GPT, it's still largely limited to a text-based prompt, which is available as a cloud-based cloud service on your browser or on your mobile phone as an application, etc. But now the, the real game is about to begin or has just begun. When they start offering this service as an API and it starts integrating into other applications, that is when the cat will go out of the bag. Now, something as primitive or as simple as, for instance, um, uh, allowing Google Mail, Gmail, uh, and uh, ChatGPT to be connected through an API. See, that itself... Uh, very fundamentally, if you see it in isolation, is not that big a deal. It's your regular private, you know, in most cases, private email inbox getting connected to a tool which is at the moment largely being seen as something that can be a very efficient assistant, almost as able as somebody's um, human personal assistant, if not more. But the idea is with this small step as well, if at all, and this is not to criticize or to say that this is incorrect or correct, but only to see the magnitude of impact that something like this may have is that the moment this fits into your inbox and it gets access, there are privacy concerns arising out of it because you don't know what kind of conversations it may read. In fact, it may read all of it because it has the ability and it is by design uh, created to, to process large amounts of data and to be able to make sense. So the question is, in terms of, for instance, one answer could be in terms of compartmentalization in chat GPT's learning. Where is it when we move from its use as a text-based prompt to plugging into through API form into a person's inbox or other applications? Where is the, the literature on or white paper on from OpenAI or anybody else who may please to write on this aspect? of compartmentalization of data. How is the, uh, the solution, the algorithms ensuring that what it is learning from one person's data, it is not uh, reproducing in another person's uh, prompts and answering queries based on its learnings through something else. Uh, where is the regulation? What are the benchmarks today? If at all, there are any, of course, there are several private organizations. We've read about them. There are. Uh, various names which you don't need to take, uh, everybody is aware, but they have developed all sorts of uh, frameworks, arguably, 
and they say look our framework is so far the most efficient one that, that exists in this vacuum and we believe it could be a good starting point for people to audit algorithms or audit uh, how it a particular ai program is trained on data sets and whether or not it is ensuring compatibility with existing data protection best practices or any country's laws etc so the you know and once you link it like i said the cat is out of the bag and then it's too late because this is already happening there's nothing stopping it and the use cases will only keep increasing and eventually everything and anything we've had instances you've seen where class action suits have been filed against several generative uh, text and generative art programs where artists have said look here is evidence of the fact that this doesn't do it's just a sophisticated copyist or a copy editor which is mishmashing different uh, pieces of work and and presenting to you what it claims or what you understand to be an original artistic work or whatever it may be but here are some uh, watermarks or signatures of our original work which are visibly or perceptibly present in the final output which uh, makes it very clear that this is nothing but sophisticated uh, copying that it is doing so i'll pause here and maybe hear your thoughts on on this yeah so there was actually an issue on reddit on reddit somebody posted that their uh, painting it was an anime painting of some dragon warrior or something and it was said that you can't just have or, or something like that um, some moon warrior or something like that you just and what reddit did was the platform said we will just remove it because your com- uh, it violates the community standards the reason for violation according to reddit was okay um uh, uh, copyright law violation because an ai company claimed that okay we created this generative art now right you like right like you rightly said i mean signatures qr code name or any other symbol which uh, shows an artistic approach to work because i'll tell you for a matter of fact let us say a background score is produced like hans zimmer produces it michael giacchino produces it or ravi basroor or elai raja produces it what happens in the music industry is that whenever americans or europeans or outsiders in india i don't know how it works because with bollywood hindi cinema it's a different problem because uh, i don't think in india anyone releases releases bgm that much except the southern industry the bollywood doesn't do it so let's say in america uh, marvel studios or dc came up with their own soundtracks so what people do is they create their rip offs their own version of uh, batman theme superman theme iron man theme okay so what they do is they say fine we are obviously creating our own version but then at certain time stamp they actually put certain things certain vocal instru- certain certain vocal in- and not uh, doing a copyright violation it is like it's like a cover of a song you get it right so it's their own version of what they conceive of similar happens in art where people create paintings like knockoffs in a way that you know what uh, we are inspired by this but it doesn't mean that it is an art clearly because in art law i don't think it applies so the problem with such generative applications in art is that when you use them uh, my only question is like you say compartmentalization of data data quality data uh, data portability is there beyond that how algorithm is even analyzing it and first and second of all how are you even ensuring that the algorithm is understood in a way that it is actually creating this because anything which is created a, a written statement anything which is an a work of art even performing arts anything it has a sense of human agency 
so without having a human element to have an intent or think how can some company just say there's something uh, i will not take the name of the company they have this thing that you can't use it for commercial reason but you can create ai based music which is fine i mean it's great you can use it for personal or what is your purpose is my only issue is uh, they might do it and there's nothing criminal in this i mean they might have to pay some licensing fee but uh, again how is it doing it is it able to explain the stakeholders from what what data it is taking there's a case you which you might be aware of which is related to github so microsoft acquired github and github violated a very as- simple aspect of copyright law what they did, and i think it's a violation that's still pending in the court so what they did was that uh, um i don't wish to comment on the procedure i'll just say that uh, so github has a lot of uh, code right java python and all those right backend code and api codes now what if the company thinks of one day that you know what we'll use machine learning we'll analyze all the codes that is available globally because developers rely on github and we'll just use that data or as our training data to recommend people to <laughs> write codes using ai and the problem is by whose permission because i i don't think under uh, copyright also properly you can recognize a code that way but there are rights obviously i mean we give licensing rights in coding also if somebody uses an api or something like that if it is paid or free so you know i think that's something which is a very interesting buffer zone in uh, ip law to consider so let's take something else and i'll ask you this um now uh, i tried using chat gpt for fun and there's an article which i've written for visual legal analytica it's available like uh, regulating and self regulating chat gpt in that article i actually put two instances for people so there's a company in us which claims that uh, in us you might be aware that even for petty civil law cases or divorce related issues or you know even a normal application for a restraint order or anything the cost is just too much it starts from 1200 us dollars to something like that which is too much for a person even for petty commercial law issues which are within the scope of consumer law the cost is too much right it's not just 500 usd or something it's still too much considering the american economy in india it's different it may start from 10k 20k you may know better um so the company claimed okay fine for these petty things for drafting uh, uh, chat gpt will help you we have an api which will work and so so forth uh, but and i think they are i think they are being sued in in the us right now i think imaginably i don't know if it's true but i heard that it is happening so um, the problem was that when i tried chat gpt i asked two questions first i said uh, draft an ab- arbitration application to a bench in the delhi high court <laughs> so they actually anal- so chat gpt had data of alabad high court of delhi high court documents and all those high court documents they analyzed an arbitration petition template and they created their template you can have a look at it i mean you can or- verify if it is even fine and then i made a complicated request i said you know what draft a request under the income tax act to the income tax appellate tribunal under a particular section of the income tax act i did it for on purpose to check how chat gpt interprets and i can tell you it's like just a lackluster affidavit draft like making an affidavit is not a big deal it's still very simple to do so except if you are not good in legal language so you know so i think when it is claimed that uh, chat gpt can replace uh, contract drafting you know aspects of legal interpretation do you really think that uh, there's some weight to this point because i think it might be good for consultative reasons for just understanding but i think specialists will always win they will also always come up so what do you think about it 
No, I definitely think that um, technology cannot replace humans, fundamentally speaking, and at least not for the foreseeable future while you and I, you know, will probably remain on this planet and probably another couple of generations after us. I don't personally think that technology will ever uh, make a human being redundant. Right. But having said that, I think the capability and the sophistication of how well technology is like chat GPT will be able to render. I think it may not be in our best interest to underestimate, of course, at the moment, the way it exists could be a, 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 could be a, because of a number of reasons. One of the reasons could be that it has not yet been trained on specialized data pertaining to the legal field. So if they create a variant of chat GPT, which is uh, trained extensively on the same amount of or volume of data uh, uh, as it has been in a general sense over the internet, etc. Uh, and train, train it on that volume of data for legal work, perhaps its ability to be able to draft uh, some of those things, you know, like an arbitration reference to arbitration application section 11 or, or an income tax appeal or whatever it is. Uh, with much more accuracy and with with probably uh, more it'll make more sense than what it does in some of the prompts that you did similarly i tried um, putting in my own uh, prompts of course it does appear to be if we were to personify it which is wrong but imagine it as a person really drafting it it would appear to be coming from a person who's had a very uh, 5000 feet you know perspective about law in these aspects and then if you tell him to draw something at max, he'll take some days, Google and produce something. It was that level of output. But perhaps with the more specialized data set, uh, it could a linguistic, um, natural, uh, you know, language learning kind of tool, the capability that it has, it might end up surprising all of us. That's one. The other is that perhaps the tool as it exists today has been designed keeping in mind the kind of conversation that it that it has today to assist people in day-to-day -day things. One of the things that I prompted it were, okay, I'm traveling to uh, Spain in, uh, in April. Can you prepare me um, three-day itinerary of things to see in Barcelona? Uh, please bear in mind, I went, I've been over, over you know, the past couple of months, been reading various uh, articles that people have written in perspectives, people who are uh, you know, uh, calling themselves now professional prompters uh, of, <laughs> uh, you know, chat GPT and, and DALI and MidJourney, these kind of generative uh, systems. They're coming yes. out with to-dos around what should your prompt be and uh, how to subjectify it or objectify it rather than making it very subjective, etc. So what are, one of the things that I picked up since then is to be more detailed. So I tried my hand and I said, look, develop uh, a minute to minute agenda for me. Uh, but bear in mind that I will only be free each of those three days um, after uh, after 4 p.m. and I will have time till uh, 9 p.m. So then <clears throat> surprisingly, at least to my surprise, it showed uh, certain suggestions which were one relevant for that time of the day. It excluded certain uh, obvious sightseeing places. And in the beginning, I was skeptical and I said, look, this hasn't been properly trained, as is the case with other prompts that people are giving it, right? Because I've already been to Barcelona and I know, I know those things should have been on the top of the list. But then 
something in me told me, okay, let me just verify. Is there a reason why chat GPT is excluded? It? So that particular uh, place, when I entered uh, their website and I saw the clo the closing hours, that thing was closing at, let's say, 3.45 every Wednesday or whatever. And one of the days that I had said was, I'm traveling from May 15 to May so-and-so or whatever, April to April so-and-so, 2023. So it has the ability to calculate even if it is learned on or trained on data till 2021, ability to calculate, um, you know, no difficulty, uh, what days will be, what dates, you know, simple thing, right? So it told me, and which is probably why it excluded that essential place, which anyone would put in the trip to Barcelona, because I said after 4 p.m. I'm free. And one of the days were at, or three of the days were when that thing would be closed after say 3.45, 3.30 p.m. Right. So, so this is, this is how amazed I was at, um, you know, how well it has been trained, but this is a question that only people who have created it perhaps or done more research on it can answer as to how capable it is as a language, pure language based or communication based engine to, to be able to read, learn from uh, legal uh, arguments, the way legal arguments are constructed or pleadings are constructed and to be able to understand that pattern and then uh, reproduce it in a fresh draft, uh, given a fresh set of facts and, you know, points. So that I think will only come to know with time. But uh, I would personally play safe by assuming that in the times to come, if not chat, chat GPT, then some other solution is likely going to be that sophisticated that it'll have that kind of output. And as someone who I know put it very well, they said, look, humans don't need to be afraid of technology replacing them. They need to be afraid of not moving up the value chain. If you don't move up the value chain and in your day-to-day skill set, embrace how to effectively use these tools. It's almost like saying that you go to law school and you don't know how to communicate over emails or you don't know how to send calendar invites, then you're you're at a disadvantage. Of course, it's like comparing apples and oranges, but just to speak, if you're practicing law, practically, if you don't know how to compose an email or send a calendar invite, you can't practice. It's in the same manner, these kind of skills of embracing such technology, generative AI should be taught in professional courses because uh, if not for the entire duration, then at least in a semester or in internships, etc., so that people, uh, students who are graduating, they're up to date with the best of uh, tools and things that exist out there for everyone to take benefit from. So these are my thoughts on this. No, uh, the instance of uh, creating an itinerary is very in interesting that you mentioned. I think uh, when it comes to generative AI like ChatGPT, um, to its merit, there are certain things which it does very interestingly, like paraphrasing and something. But it doesn't mean that it is very perfect. I think, as I as you said, and as I was trying to say, I think we agree that uh, people who are specialists on the domain of question, like it could be anything, family planning, or I don't know, medical science, law, it could be anything. And we say, fine. Or, or, you know, uh, wedding planning, travel planning, or anything. If we understand to the extent of error that some software like this would do, at least we can be self-aware to make decisions accordingly. At least we got a second opinion technologically. That's the best way anyone could use. Even I use ChatGPT for fun reasons. I don't take it seriously. 
uh, it sometimes is helpful in certain aspects but definitely uh, i don't uh, uh, claim that uh, chat gpt is perfect but i think it's experimental that's why i think it says free research preview all the time so definitely i mean uh, that's an interesting instance to look forward to so um let's move forward and let's discuss something about um uh, the commerce of generative ai so recently uh, investors from sequoia and others have actually you know put down put down a lot of money on web3 technologies and now generative ai and now what happened was that despite the fact that india has recognized virtual digital assets still in a restrictive manner which is perfectly okay with the line of the government's view on national security because we know that uh, you know in coordination with binance it was known that hawala transactions were being you know used for crypt- using crypto at least recognizing vda which is a virtual digital asset in a limited sense under the money laundering act is fine now um, what interested me was that uh, uh, the hype on web3 tech is going down very severely even even on metaverse while uh, some companies like shopify and others are using certain aspects of them into the web2 frame and then they are coming up with something else they don't claim it web3 yet or they might claim it but i still will call them web2 because uh, uh, the problem with blockchain is not that you can't have a decentralized system but you know it, the problem is blueprinting and all of those and second uh, it's a very american idea everybody thinks in america that we can't trust the federal government or the you know the white house and all those therefore we should have a, a very separate currency that's exactly what balaji shrinivasan claimed that um, uh, you know one side of uh, the political caucus should actually buy all the cryptocurrencies and they should not rely on bank of america and others which is hilarious it can't happen in india we have direct benefit transfers we have upi that's way better even the cbdc so why am i telling you this and why uh, why i wish to ask you so my question is that let us say we are uh, t- uh, so what happened was that the hype towards web3 is now shifting to hype towards generative ai and i saw a trend like this company which i told you in america which is building certain api tools and all that there are many companies and i've written an article on this on uh, visual legal analytica by the name of um, it's a complicated title <laughs> the de- the chat gpt and its derivatives and derivatives and derivatives of so uh, it's very simple chat gpt has a universal training data then it gets new inputs every time based on prompts obviously people are prompting up then obviously it produces based on what it pr- prompts obviously in response um, one can understand that uh, you can use an api and create a derivative product that's exactly what a derivative product could be and the one problem which uh, people could address is how uh, proprietary information could be taken into commercialization because some may claim if it is free research preview why are you restricting in a certain fashion or why are you disrupting the market because then there could be certain com- issues on competition law which could come up right now they might not be those mature issues but i think that might they might be because mati and other ministries are interested in chat gpt and there's news happening so from a commerce point of view from a product liability or product responsibility perspective what do you think about generative ai products like is there a scene that people are trying to achieve something better out of it what do you think because um this actually reminds more of corporate governance in certain ways and corporate ethics so what do you think no i think this is uh, really a very very important um, point and i'm so glad that you've brought it up my views on responsibility is very simple i think 
you know the again it's not obviously as simple as we like to put it but i've i've come to realize in my interaction in my engagement in this field that you know if you start thinking then there's no end to it and then it gets it keeps getting more complex so we have to break it down into simplest of terms and start have a starting point then throw the idea open and then get more perspectives and then keep changing it altering it um to arrive at something which is much better in its eventual form than it was originally so one way that i think this problem could be answered is look responsibility is at two levels one is if i prompt a generative ai tool like chat gpt if the output that it generates in any way influences me to do something to my property or to my person and that ends up uh, damaging my property or my person reversibly irreversibly or whatever it is then there needs to be something um, some kind of checks and balances that need to be put in because if the technology is capable enough for for the technology to based on my prompts understand the context that i'm talking about and be able to produce relevant results without me expressly writing about what i want then it is definitely smarter than other passive uh, or yesteryear technologies web 2.0 kind of technologies binary searches and all definitely much more um, much more capable uh, of filtering out things which are potentially harmful or uh, not useful or uh, whatever you may want to call it for the society right so that is that there the responsibility should lie with the developers or whoever is in charge of finally bringing that product from farm to table the second level of responsibility is if i if the generative ai gives me some input the output and i utilize that output and present it to somebody else and either it infringes somebody's rights whatever it may be it may be speech blasphemy etc it may be uh, seditious it may it may drive somebody else to commit some kind of harm to their own person body or property right then the person that eventually exercises the discretion to take that product of a generative ai and put it to some kind of use which causes harm to some other person consequently should bear responsibility is very similar to i think one of the earliest conversations that we had a couple of years ago how at least i like to see it is it's like a tree growing in my garden right Uh, if there's a tree growing in my garden let's say it's an apple tree now the apples drop off right some of the apples are rotten some of the apples are uh, fresh and they're nice and sweet now eventually i exercise as the person in whose garden in whose property the tree grows i exercise the discretion of choosing which apples to take to the farmers market and sell and as a result of consuming some rotten apples if somebody falls sick then eventually responsibility has to be mine it cannot be of the trees because the tree never said okay the tree said okay here are 10 apples you do what you want to do with it chat gpt in its present form of interaction in a very web 2.0 uh, classic way of us putting it uh, putting a text prompt and it's just displaying the answer on a very two dimensional browser window right is not not really cannot be said to be guilty of Uh, influencing us, or conjuring us, or alluring us into 
utilizing it for one purpose or the other which is where i think more immersive technologies will have a role to play and depending on how it is presented the output especially visual uh, visual uh, you know generative ais that have visual or uh, audio based output then it will be different but here if it's being presented like that eventually i am the one exercising discretion as to how it is to be used and eventually if it infringes someone's rights i should be responsible so the current state at which we are at i think in the short term this appears to be a very viable way of fixing liability and as far as me getting harmed as a consequence of some results that uh, directly harmed as a consequence of some results that or output that the generative ai produces there i think some kind of responsibility matrix has to be affixed on the developers because they can't say see you've seen also a shift from intermediary liability or rather safe harbor to intermediary liability uh, why there has been a shift is because from dmca days early days 2000 2001 to 2023 courts and governments have realized that technologies have evolved so much that companies are actually without the requirement of active human intervention which was the main argument at that point in time that it's humanly impossible if you're manning or running a solution like youtube for instance to know which content infringes whose copyright or whose rights whatever it may be but with the increased uh capability of technology and artificial intelligence being thrown into the the formula it appears increasingly easy for companies with very limited amount of resources being dedicated not more than a team a small team of people who would simply be monitoring a tool which in turn would be doing the dirty job of analyzing big data and coming up with possible red flags as to what could be taken down right so the thing is somewhere that uh, absolute liability uh, absolute defense to any liability has to be diluted if a machine again back to that point if a machine is capable of answering understanding your context right and has evolved to natural natural language processing to that level it is definitely capable of flagging such an issue in advance before it even decides to present it to you on the screen so those are my broad views on responsibility yeah i think uh, that that's true in fact uh, uh for big tech it could be a ser- serious matter because they do these acquisitions there are merger issues and so forth whatever they present in marketing but for msmes and emerging startups which are funded by vcs and bootstrapped and both i mean i don't think it's a big issue for them because um i think at least one thing is there that data quality is a self regulatory concern also it's not just that gdpr comes up and done right i mean sometimes certain companies try to um do data safeguards or try to make machine learning more understandable and this was a concern which uh, my friend bogdan grigorescu you must have met him on i think yeah you did there was a panel yeah so uh, yeah we had it and uh, he actually said the same thing that with machine learning the problem is it's only learning how is it showing that it is understanding and explaining it and that's where i think the next level comes up which is explainable ai that uh, why is it that uh, you know these applications are trying to whether they're understanding things or not so i i think uh, the concept of liability will change a lot it won't be used in a very very ferocious manner like we say fine it's a environmental or tort liability or something like that i don't think there will be ai torts happening <laughs> so <laughs> that's definitely i think to behold um final question 
this is a, a very uh, different question, a bit of a more academic question, but I will ask for the sake of curiosity. You remember the Davos case for sure, right? What happened in Australia, and then obviously the recognition of that AI as uh, the inventor was rejected. Now, uh, my concern, and this is why I'm bringing generative AI now, and I'm not bringing Davos, is that um, I think uh, the reason why I find AI and patent law interesting in this regard, as to recognizing this patent, patentee and inventorship differently. is because um it might not be accepted right now but it could be considered an aspect of involving corporate governance into ip in a good way bad way howsoever it is i mean i'm not predicting it i'm not saying that there's an element of malfeasance everywhere it's not true uh, there's an aspect of innovation which sometimes is required so you need some special intervention in law so uh, in copyright while these issues come up in art music and text based content what do you think uh, the you know the evolution of patent law when it comes to addressing legal implications of generative ai what do you think like how will patent law shape itself and maybe trade secrets also what do you think about that some views i think see technology is already capable of generating um, much of eventually what can be with some human intervention as rather than the opposite as people uh, expected initially that it'll be a hum- primarily a human effort and machine will assist etc today um, certain machines uh, are capable of especially we've seen uh, the claims pertaining to dabbers for instance of creating something which with hum- minimal human intervention can be converted to a invention over which patent rights can be claimed right and much of the input or value add that the human really does is to transform it from a mere shape or idea etc you know in in that case it was like a container in the shape of a container and the fact that it has serves multiple purposes etc uh, and it improves several efficiencies so the thing is that the machine somehow produced that image now that image if presented to the regulator now we are entering the human layer and the governance layer because we live in a society in a country that has you know a constitution and then from the constitution flow other laws etc so when we enter that layer we have to abide by the rules of that layer and that system which is that for patent rights to be granted one thing is to say that sovereign sovereigns uh, sovereign countries are capable of writing uh, issuing letters patent or patent rights or whatever Uh, rights they may be the other is that there is a prescribed manner in which you have to apply go through the process and only then you will get that recognition now to be able to com- comply with the prescription prescription the prescribed part you will necessarily perhaps need some amount of human intervention at least the level at which generative ai is exists today as we know publicly known that a human being will have to make sense and to some extent argue in the abstract part in the prior art part and others how this is different from existing prior art what are the various features uh, that they're claiming rights on why they're claiming rights on those particular features etc and then also to use the illustration that that ai may have generated label it as is required by in patent applications in patent practice and procedure and present it right now if you examine this question okay from a 10000 feet perspective 
forget that countries exist and that statutes exist and because we have not had instances of machines creating something worthwhile without much human intervention we never explored and legislations were never made with the presumption that there will be anybody else except humans right and then the whole reason that eventually rights and obligations can only be human because only humans can feel bad or feel good can be corrected right uh, can 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 be deterred uh, incentivized and so on right uh, something which doesn't have feelings or is not sentient etc has no uh, interest and um, is not even recognized i mean even animal rights for instance i'm saying beyond the bare bare permissive or bare most basic rights of letting an animal live and thrive on its own and uh, you know hunt and you know etc anything that an animal is creating you're not allowing more humans who wish to help the animal we saw in the monkey case for instance one one way to interpret could have been see today we have reached a level of deeming fiction of of jurisprudence and i sometimes use this example if you've read the the book called sapiens in one of the chapters in sapiens the example that the author gives is he says look fundamentally where we diverged from more primitive uh, animals and we became uh, you know what we are or the prelude to what we are today um one of the things that stand out between us and all the other millions of species that exist is that we are able to create fiction everything around us whether it is uh, a society a trust an association a court a constitution a government all of these are a company these are all fictions that we have created none of this actually exists what stops us from creating yet another fiction which is whatever you want to call it call it an ai trust or or you know these courts in india have been known to create uh, fiction for deities that that uh, people right so in that context the point is if uh, what people give to deities as uh, their religious offering the courts have held the right of the deity to include those proceeds to be only utilized towards the deity's well being which is uh, maintenance of the deity's uh, inner sanctorum you know uh, then uh, garbhagre and uh, then you know renovation of parking this that limitation how many salaries can be or how much of profit can the uh, the trustees draw out for what purpose etc all of these things without the deity being in a position to express its uh, you know will correct is very similar for animals in fact animals are still able to express their likes and dislikes and so on depending on what kind of animal species you are talking about but for a monkey why can it can it not be that the monkey for instance i mean i'm just giving this as, as an example not necessarily applicable to monkeys but i'm saying in an ideal world perhaps the idea would be that if a monkey is able to produce something right don't let a human being make millions out of a picture clicked by a monkey because there would be millions of humans wanting to pay somebody who produces such a picture and creates let's say souvenirs out of it t-shirts mugs etc right that money should there should be a legal fiction for instance that could be created and the money or part of the money that is collected should be utilized towards that monkey's well being and somebody should be put in charge whoever is willing to there are many of us who are animal lovers and we would be willing to exercise this responsibility in addition to our regular human responsibilities towards each other and other humans right so the point is i'm just saying trying to make a point that same kind of deeming fiction can be created for an ai what i believe is that with increase in amount of time and the sophistication in technology 
uh, it will become very, uh, very difficult for the existing IP law system or legal system to exist because the amount of effort that it takes a human being to create the same thing and, in, and a human being with the assistance of AI to create the same thing will keep on becoming enormously disproportionate to each other because it is only going to become quicker and quicker for people to be able to create things using technology. And for us, for somebody who's equally talented, let's say as an artist or a musician, to take as much amount of time to produce or write music and then record it as it would take him 100 years ago, right? So the thing is, what is the objective of law? This governments have to decide. Do you want to uh, keep intellectual property laws and other economic laws in a way that you only want to incentivize human creation? If that is the case, then you will, if at all, you will uh, allow for recognition of AI-generated works, which you will eventually, because then that would mean that uh, the people behind putting efforts behind creating generative AI uh, technology, they are disincentivized if everything is in the public domain, right? So if you're going to put your put your weight behind uh, uh, skewing in favor of human creativity, you would continue to hold purely human-created works at a higher pedestal then AI-assistive or AI-generative works, right? So you would keep them at a much lower pedestal and that I believe is the, at least the short to medium term solution to how you have to create a balance between the advent of technology in our mainstream day-to-day -day use and balance that out with uh, humans who are genuinely talented. Otherwise, humans will simply keep losing interest. Now, another important aspect, if I may come in, uh, since we were talking about this, this comes to my mind is that a lot of people I read, a lot of scholars uh, were writing on the lines that, you know, this will, this has sounded the death knell for creativity. Creativity, as you know, classic arts and, and uh, you know, innovation and skill and talent, as we know, will eventually taper out and, and end. This I don't agree with, you know, the, the same thing was said in the early 90s when the personal computer came. And people said, you know, people who paint, on on uh, canvas using oil paint and uh, you know and take weeks to produce that all that will be finished when when photoshop comes and uh, so on and so forth and people will be able to produce something of the same level fast forward 30 years i don't think much has changed the value of a painting uh, is probably definitely as much and and the fact that it is originated from a human being one can equally well discern in today's age as one could in 1993. The only thing that is added is there is more variety. People who, for instance, could not afford to pay for an original painting, especially that of a famous art artist, don't need to leave their walls uh, bare. They have the benefit of resorting to technology and using digital pieces of art, which may be, some may say, equally, uh, you know, uh, equally attractive or creative as that, but it's to each his own, right? It's only making resources and creativity more accessible, but I don't see any aspect of music or musicians being driven out because eventually we, we went from, uh, you know, uh, uh, we went from recording in the studio using very basic microphones and equipment to the era of fruity loops and so on to the era of now generative AI music. The musicians have not left. A musician or a music producer of Lakshmi Kant Pyarelal era probably had a different way of composing music, right? Writing down notes and uh, uh, writing down symphonies, composing symphonies, and then orchestrating them 
live and then recording and then editing versus what music producers of today some of the newer DJs and other music producers have resorted to generative music coupled with some remixes or cover versions as you mentioned there is there are still enough number of people who would love to listen to the Lakshmi Kant Pyarelal kind of music enough number of people on the other hand who would want to listen to uh, the more new age technology assisted kind of music right nothing fades in that sense so these are my my views on this on this aspect yeah just to add on your point on creativity even i think that human creativity is not going to die because uh, 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 there's one very common sensical answer for this and uh, to add to your point i think what happens is there's something called anthropomorphism of ai if you're using any technology artifact which subjects to technology distancing this is a theory in the sociology of technology i think in the late 1990s in some paper but i use this technical term for people to be curious and understanding i think uh, if somebody uses an effort if they don't know sound engineering that much it doesn't mean they can't produce it they just might find a hack to do it in fact uh, one of the most i would not say advanced musical creations but very simple normal music creation is that song called attention which came what viral in 2017 so if anyone would hear they will think oh there are drums there are uh, so many instruments involved just hear the track charlie put the singer actually uses his sound phonetic sounds and then creates it and then modulates it so i think human creativity has its own bounds legally i don't think it's an issue of uh you know culture law that way i think it would be more about like how one does and how one claims and even there i think i think based on your point what i can understand and even i have realized it in the past that um human actions will be commonly saturated in the market the market will understand eventually how it actually works in fact uh, uh, this has been an experience of mine which i will share maybe after this session so <laughs> Yeah so I think it was a great talk with you and I am really happy that we had it uh, we will discuss something else for sure in future meanwhile let's see how this goes ahead i think uh, i think generative ai has an interesting future and meanwhile i think we may expect some better applications and services and products to come up which will balance the market for good instead of just coming up as pseudo disruptions so i think that will happen eventually and then maybe some regulatory appeal could come up which is to say that government might be you know interested uh, that you know what let's just start regulating it or at least start with self regulatory measures which are just fine to just map out things so yeah it was a pleasure to have you and thank you so much for coming thank you everyone it's always a pleasure i'm looking forward to our next discussion on this